Hi, Make and Bone Gang, and welcome back to the Pelican Bone Outdoors Podcast. We're at episode seven, talking to the man, Alex Rudd, the bearded bad man himself. Did you get sound effects? <laughs> yeah, I love Just playing with this thing. I, gotta, oh, dude, I, I bought this board, man. Dude, I know. I, gotta, I can preload mine with sound effects, and I've not done it yet. But oh, you I, got to. It's so much yeah. fun. I, I love the intro, too. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> Come on down. It's Alex Rudd fishing. Alex Rudd. So I, I've Googled this, and I can't find anything. It says that there's a meteor shower in 2022. But that's all that I can find. Dude, we may have like seriously seen something that other people may not have seen. Like we may need to that's tell it. somebody. All right. So me and Alex were talking before uh, this thing kicked off and I was telling him about something I seen last Wednesday on the way to go squirrel hunting. I'm driving down the road on the interstate and all of a sudden this bright light flashes in front of me and there's this meteor asteroid nuclear missile. I don't know what it was coming in through the atmosphere and you can see once it passed through the atmosphere like that I don't know, it would be like a, a bowl-shaped flame or something disappeared, and it was just a thing glowing until it faded off and, and disappeared. And I'm telling him this, and then he's saying he's seen the exact same thing, so we got to talking about it, and now we're and trying to figure out like, what it was. It was like 5.45, 6 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, yep. Yep. it was around that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because uh, it was still, yeah, because I was heading to hunt some squirrels, and it was like, what, 6.30, I think, was when it got daylight, so. Yeah. Yeah, dude. That, that was, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm literally driving down the interstate, and like when I say the entire sky lit up, like it lit up to the point that I could see the tops of the trees, and then it just fizzled out. Like, and it was yeah. orange, like this, like like brilliant orange color. I'm trying to figure out what direction it was coming from. It, I would have been so, heading. I was north heading, or north. I was heading south. Okay. So I was heading well, south on the it. interstate. And it passed me from my left to my right. So it went from okay. west to east, right? I don't know. I'm trying to picture which direction I was heading. I'd have to see what road I was on at the time. Dude, I don't know. But, I mean, if it was that big, that was big. It was. I mean, That's the biggest thing I've ever seen come into the atmosphere. I've seen shooting stars before, and it, yeah. this thing was at least 50 times bigger than that. I mean, it, oh, it was big. Like, because the... Cause I saw like the whole Corona and everything like you saw, and then yes. it like fizzled out. So that probably means, I don't know. I mean, like I'm trying to get logistics right here. When I was on this podcast. I'm pretty sure I said something really stupid about the logistics of how far we are from the moon. Was it this podcast? <laughs> I think it was. Um, I don't know. But like, you got to think if it just entered the atmosphere enough I mean, and it had a burn time. I mean, I mean, let's say that it's moving several thousands of miles an hour. I mean, like, I guess it could burn that much from you to me that yeah. fast. That's scary. I mean, dude, that thing was probably going five, six thousand miles an hour. And there's no telling how far away it was. No, I mean, it yeah. could have landed in the in the Atlantic Ocean. I'm gonna have to report. I'm I'm gonna figure out who I like can talk to. I'm gonna find somebody to talk to about that, and like ask them like what's up with that. That that's crazy. Once I didn't see a, a bright light in a mushroom cloud, then I thought it was a a, a satellite or something. <laughs> oh, that's great. Wait right here, hold on. Wait, I may have got something. The UAE. Oh no, that's the United Arab Emirates. 
That's not I right. imagine if it was a nuclear missile, though, they would be, you'd see a lot more than one because once somebody hits a button, that's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like once they go, they're all going. I mean, unless it was aliens. I mean, yeah, that's what that's what uh, Frank said. Old aliens might have been. Who knows? I'm trying to find something and I can't find anything like that's the weird part is normally if okay, two congruent humans living two totally different lives in two totally different parts of the country separated by literally 600 miles sees the same exact thing on the same day, which was corroborated with a third person who was with me in the same area. We're the only three people that seen it. Dude, what happened? So now I know it happened. It was all over the internet and the government took it down. I mean, dude, I can't find nothing about it. I'm typing in November 2nd, 2022 shooting star. Let's see. Giant uh, (laughs) light in the sky. Shooting star. Maybe it was just, you know, maybe all it was, was, I mean, right here, first thing that pops up, Georgia versus Tennessee. Maybe it is just a sign that UT is going to win against Georgia. We're going to be 9-0, and and we're going going to the national championship. Maybe that's what it's telling me. I don't know. That, if that helped you sleep at night. There was, a, there was a man ID'd and killed in Pine Hills when I typed oh. that in. I mean, you know, I don't know. Dude, um, I, I don't know. I'm really – I gotta yeah. figure. It out. So now you've got me on a rabbit hole, son. We're gonna dig into that. I'm gonna figure yeah, that. We're gonna figure it out. Yeah, I definitely want to know now because I, I, you're the first person I talked to about it. To be honest with you, I wouldn't even think about it until a little while ago. That's crazy. Oh God! Sorry about that. <laughs> down. Now the now the government's after Vinny. We're talking about this crap. They're shutting us down. They're taking our microphones out. Some men in black coming for us. I apologize um, to anybody listening on headphones. That's Jeez. amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> well, I brought you here today to talk about some fall fishing. I mean, you're up there in Tennessee, so I imagine I'm in southeast Louisiana. I imagine our weather's probably a little different, especially yeah. this early in the fall. Yeah. Uh, what's your temperatures out there? Man, it's crazy. Like, they're everywhere. You know, we had a couple weeks ago, we had a frost, and it was like 40 degrees one day, and today it was like 75. So we're in that weird time of year where it's going like this, you know, and I always tell people it's either going to snow on Halloween or it's going to be 70 on Halloween. This year it was 70 on Halloween, so that probably means it's going to snow on Thanksgiving. You know, it's like wow. they seem to flip-flop back and forth. But um, I was surprised we got cooler weather as early as we did. I mean, we had that, I guess it was probably when it was frost up by you, uh-huh. we got it. I mean, it was in the, I think the high was in the 60s, the yeah. upper 60s. Yeah. And I, oh, what did I love that weather? <laughs> Dude, it's, I don't know, man. It's It's been wreaking havoc on the fishing, to be totally honest with you. Like, all that kind of normal fall stuff that's really, really fun isn't happening. And, like, the frog bite happened pretty good. I got on some frog fish and did the whole frog bite thing. But then it's like the frost happened and they dropped the lake at the same time, which killed pretty much all the grass. So there's like two patches of grass grass left to go fish. And it's like, it's just not enough grass to hold enough of meaningful fish. You know what so I mean? Ex- explain that to me. Cause I mean, obviously I don't have any lakes that can be dropped by me. I'm out in the, uh, you know, I'm in tidal waters basically. <laughs> there's some lakes not far, not, you know, a couple of hours away from here, but I'm not even sure how all of that works. If they drop those or can drop them or if it's just a, natural thing so like Mm -hmm. is it a reservoir or is it an actual lake so the lake that i'm specifically talking about is it's it's a it's just a river channel is essentially what it is and what they use it for is a flood control pass through lake 
And so like, if, you know, if they're anticipating, so let's back it up a little bit. I'll give you the whole spill. Okay. So the TVA is the Tennessee Valley authority. Tennessee Valley authority was put in place during the great depression as one of the tools for them to be able to bring the economy back around, bring electricity into the Tennessee Valley, as well as supply electricity to the Manhattan Project in Oak Ridge and help to build the atomic bomb. The TVA's goal was to create a series of hydroelectric dams to do two things. Number one, flood control. Number two, bring electricity through hydroelectricity. The flood control part of it was because Tennessee and the Tennessee Valley in particular and the whole Tennessee River system pretty much down through northern Alabama into Kentucky, being the valley and the way that the river lays out was prone to extreme flooding. And like, you know, flooding to the point where, you know, it, it helped crops and it helped to kind of be a fertile, you know, here's fertile, as fertile as the Tennessee Valley. That's right. it, raising Arizona. Well, it, you know, it helped in that because of all the nutrients and stuff, but it was also devastating in some ways, especially when we had too much rain. So these dams are, and the way these lakes fluctuate is in order to prevent flooding. So in the winter, the reason we have a winter drawdown is because couple reasons. Number one, there isn't as big of a demand for power because everybody isn't running their air conditioning as much, so we don't need as much water. But number two, where I'm at in Tennessee is actually considered a deciduous rainforest. So we get as much rain in Tennessee during the winter months as some parts of the rainforest will get. Really? Yes. Like, so that's why you know, like you see this extreme flooding in the winter months here. And like a, the classic a few years ago when Ott won, you know, there was that big flood that brought in all that muddy water. That's where that comes from is we get a massive amount of rain in the winter. So what they do is they draw these lakes way down in preparation for the massive influx of water that we're going to have during the winter months. And that helps them to be able to regulate the water levels and be able to keep these, you know, the valley from flooding essentially. Now, it doesn't always work, and we still get flooding, but it's not to the devastating amount that it would be otherwise. So that's the reason that they draw down these lakes in the winter. Now, the lake I'm talking about in particular is a pass-through lake that the water level fluctuates anywhere from six inches to a foot almost constantly. I mean, it's just like this all the time. And the reason they're doing that is they're passing water through that place from the big lake, which is Norris above it, and into the bigger lake below it, which is Watts Bar, just to help with, you know, managing that water fluctuation back and forth. It also helps to create power because there's water flowing through two different dams and there's a coal power plant on that lake that they're transitioning to a nuclear power plant that's all driven wow. by water flow. So, I mean, dude, it's a big power making system. I mean, it's fascinating, really. It's like, amazing. Yeah, it's really, really The cool. fact that you knew all of that and walked me through it that 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 beautifully. Hey, well, hey, you know, I've I've studied up on it just, just a little bit. Um, It's kind of like, dude, honestly... Those dams and, and the functioning of those dams is, is how our bots work. Like those fish function on dam fluctuations and lake fluctuations. Like it's crazy. Hmm. But what happened on that particular lake is, so you get this matted vegetation and normally summer through most of the fall, they'll hold that lake up and they'll drop it four to five inches maybe. And what happens is, is about this time of year, they'll drop it about a foot. Well, most of my like really, really good grass mats are only in two foot of water. And so what happens is when they drop that water, that mat collapses down on top of, it, top of itself. It forces the fish from under it because there isn't that, you know, cavernous space underneath right. it. And then when the frost hits the top of it, 
kills all that grass. Grass breaks up, and when the water comes back up, it breaks the grass up, and the grass goes away. And so that's what happens in that particular case. But, I mean, when you're talking about it as a whole, you know, most of your big river system lakes, Loudon, you know, Watts Bar has a drawdown, Chickamauga has a drawdown, but you're talking two, three feet. Now your reservoirs, Cherokee, Norris, Del Hollow, those places, you're talking 25, 30 feet of drawdown. Wow. Like Norris Lake is already down probably 35 feet. How do like, you, how do they work boat launches? Our ramps are extremely long. Jesus. Yeah. Now like Chickamauga will get so low that there's six of the eight ramps on the lake. You can't get a boat into like, it's just impossible, but like Norris Lake, you know, I mean, you know, a few of the big ramps that I put in Douglas at the dam. I mean, like those ramps are, I've seen them so low that the ramps are out of the water. That's very, very rare. That's like when they're preparing for a, like a big storm to come in, you know, like one of these late season hurricanes that we sometimes right. get something like that. But like, dude, I mean, those ramps are 65, 85 feet long. I mean, they're huge. Not- you know, you back down and just keep backing and backing and backing. <laughs> get him back and finally hit the water but yeah that's nuts mm-hmm. yes yeah, so i got i gotta get up there so i can actually see all of this so i can have a better idea and understanding of uh how those lakes work because dude it's cool man i mean you're more than welcome to come up dead of winter it sucks like it's cold but man they bite i mean like really yeah that water gets drawn down and i have a theory that smallmouth don't smallmouth don't ever move that they stay deep all year and that the water just gets drawn down to where they live during the winter. And that's why you start you seeing a lot more smallmouth. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Like I don't, I have no experience with smallmouth, none whatsoever. So Dude, they're weird, man. They're weird little critters. Our, ours are weird too, because they don't act like Northern smallmouth. Like you'll hear a lot of guys like Mark Zona says it a lot and he's not wrong. Cause up North it's true. He's like, you know, sun needs to shine. Sun needs to shine. Sun needs to shine. Our, no, our smallmouth are like vampires, dude. Sun comes out, they go find a rock to hide under. And like they overcast. Yeah. Love that overcast. Like I called smallmouth the other day, yesterday. You know, me and Bethany went camping. That was fun. It rained all night. We didn't get wet. <laughs> we have a really nice tent. I'd have to say I'm proud of the tent that I bought because it was a good investment. But like I got up and you know, all the fish that I caught were were brown fish. And it's just because they love that crappy, overcast, snowy, wet weather. Like that's that's the time to go catch smallies. So basically, the same weather you want for duck hunting. That's the that's the weather those want. Pretty much, I've been peppered many a times. They're smallmouth fishing while dudes are duck hunting. So oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, I'm not I'm not really versed in fall bass fishing because mm-hmm. here. Now I'm starting to get into it more because I'm getting more and more like the you know the bass bug has bitten me so yeah. I'm getting more and the more and trying to learn it because it's yeah. it's different it's a lot yeah. different than inshore fishing it's a different yeah. fish um, they they tend to be more picky than you know your redfish basically if you find a redfish you throw something in front of them you you got him mm-hmm. but like fall fishing for bass because in the fall that's when my speckled trout start moving inshore mm-hmm. so I can start you can start picking those off redfish are always in the marsh. Um, but then it's also my hunting season. Yeah. So I kind I have to start splitting my time between hunting and fishing. So I never really put the time in for bass fishing. So this year uh, I'm I'm gonna force myself to try and get out and do some yeah. more and try and figure them out. Especially because you know I can watch videos all day long on YouTube about bass fishing, but it's always lakes, it's always yes. lakes, rivers, whatever, and there's not much in this area like inshore or. Uh, you know, tidal water bass fishing. So, I mean, it's still the same fish, mm-hmm. 
but you know, like you said, from lake to lake, they act differently. Yeah, I so mean, functionally, to they're going to be a completely different critter. You know what I mean? Even even the environment in which they live, because the predator, like predatory pressure that they have on them, is different too. Like right. you got to think, you know, those fish. I've experienced late winter fishing down south, like marsh style brown water. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of tidal sort of fishing and and from my experience with that it's like like they just function different like i don't know it's weird they they i don't know they function different than our fish do you know which is not fall fishing but we can get into it I, I have some ideas like i have some ideas that you might be able to go apply and like just it might work i don't know maybe <laughs> hey i'm willing i'm willing to take notes man because look i'm gonna go out uh what's today today's tuesday i'm gonna go out thursday Mm-hmm. And uh, and go try. Now we got a warm up coming, so it might be just like fishing s- summer bass. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's like. So how much do you think weather versus lunar and stuff like that, length of days and everything matter? I mean, is it more the weather conditions, temperatures um, that are affecting them, or do they just start sensing that these days are getting shorter? Um, I don't know. The moon's sitting at a different spot yeah. in the sky. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, to be totally honest, I don't, I can't give you a scientific yes or no. I know from conversations I've had with people a heck of a lot smarter than me, like biologists and from just what I've collected as an angler and just as an adamant researcher, like I love to read and, and research bass are very photosensitive. So what that means is, you know, not like Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, hey, hold still, I'm going to take a Meaning like their, their association with light and the amount of light that they get is very important for the way that they function. Now, that corresponds also with water temperature because you got to think less sun we get, less warm the water is going to be. So they're right. also very temperature dependent as well. That it's because of their photosensitivity as well as their being cold-blooded creatures. You know, I mean, when they're cold or when the water's cold, guess what? They're cold. Yep, they're cold. Like it's, just, it's just the way that it is. It's like an alligator or any other, you know, reptile. A bass isn't a reptile, but it is, you know, it functions on, on sunlight and the amount of sunlight that it gets. So <clears throat> kind of what I have learned is that as the days get shorter, the bass instinctually – start to understand that the change is happening. Now, I don't think that they immediately like switch on a switch and go, we have to feed in order to fatten up for this prolonged period of time where there isn't going to be much food. I don't, a fish isn't like a bear or, or another you know, or squirrel or a deer where it's like eating to store fat. Fish can't store fat like those creatures can. I mean, like they have to eat all year. Like they can't stop eating. Um, even bass under ice, you know, they're still swimming around picking crawdads up off the bottom. Right. They may be in a very, very catatonic state almost where they're like barely functioning, but they still have to function enough to, to consume enough. You know what I mean? And so like when people say, you know, these bass are putting on the fall feed bag, they're not doing that in order to store fat. They're doing that just because the bait's there. You know, the bait is also sensed that that change is coming, and they start to make those functional changes in their 
living habits and you know and their habits that they start getting shallower they start eating phytoplankton so then the bass follow them shallower so that they can eat the bait and then the strappers follow them and the, and the muskie da, 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 and the whole process starts to go down and you start to get these pattern kind of things where the bass are moving to the backs of the pockets or all these things that we say right but i think at the end of the day what we have to realize is that the bass is just there because the food's there and so we have to figure out where the food is at and we also have to understand that the fall as a whole is a time of transition not only in the weather but in everything on planet earth literally the earth tilting farther away from the sun right you know we're getting farther away from the sun in our trajectory around the sun the days are getting shorter the leaves are starting to fall off the trees the shadows are are literally shifting because the sun's getting lower in the sky like everything about what is going on in nature is in a transition mode so we have to be in a traditional mode in order to try to catch these fish because fall as awesome as it is can also suck because those fish are here one day and they've moved a hundred feet down the bank the next day just because they're following a shade line or they're following a pot of bait fish or they're following water temperature or they're following the sun or something like that. So why isn't, why do you think isn't the winter to spring I feel like that transition is different than fall to winter yes, or summer, yes. or summer to fall. I mean, it to me, spring is if you, I mean, you almost can't not catch something in the spring, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but in the fall it's, they shut off or they don't, I don't know. It's just, they harder to find or they just shut down. Or I maybe think... I just don't know what I'm doing. That's always a possibility. <laughs> no, dude, falls, fall can be tough. I mean, fall is tough. I think fall is just one of those that, my best days fall fishing are the days that I don't tie myself to any one thing and I just go, 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 go. Like square bill, spinnerbait, topwater, whopper plopper, flipping jig, uh, stick a TNT, stick bait. You know, it's like, you know, popping court. I mean, like I'm trying everything in the fall because like you literally can go out and you can catch 50 fish in a day during the fall on 50 different baits. Like that's how, you know, like the other day we went um, fishing, me and Cole went fishing. We caught them on a frog, a bladed jig, a flipping bait, a buzz bait, what else? Swim bait, and I think I think that was it. So five different baits all on the same lake within the same, like, six-mile area. So let me ask you this, then. If you got – all right, so you're catching on five different baits. Are you covering a lot of water when you're doing that, or do you pick a spot? If you don't catch something in that spot, you switch – you know, I mean, you fish all five baits in one spot before you move on? I mean, it, so that's a loaded question, but, I mean, I'm moving – a lot i think because the fish move because i do want to go back to the spring question because that's interesting but like i'm moving a lot with the fish because the fish are moving like these fish are all they're doing is following the bait around wherever the bait goes and that could be anything that could be crawdads that could be bluegills that could be shad that could be perch that could be you know a bunch of different things and like these fish are just moving with those like you know these fish that have been in the backs of these creeks all summer long these creeks are starting to cool down. And so they're starting to move out to the main lake where the water's warmer because they're getting away from the cold. Like where they wanted to be cold. Now that it's getting cold, they're like, eh, I don't right. want to be cold no more. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think, I think that it kind of leads back into the spring question is these fish have been cold all winter. And when that water starts warming up again, being a creature that doesn't store fat and doesn't store up for the winter that has to eat, when it starts, when its body starts to warm up and its metabolism starts to kick in, it's like, okay, 
oh yeah, we're going to eat every single thing that moves. If it even kind of looks right, we're going to eat it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, even if it doesn't look right, we're going to take a swipe at it and try to eat it. I think that's your difference is that you've got all summer long that transitions into this fall where all summer these fish have been hot, they've been pressured, they've been beat up on. You know, if you got a lot of tournaments, you've got fish that have been caught, you got fish that have all summer too have had plenty of food to eat. They have no reason to have not eaten anything that they wanted to because there's a bunch of bait. And so as they start to go from fall into winter, you just have fish that are stressed out. Now there is a tipping point there in my experience where it goes from like, okay, we don't have to eat. Like we've still got plenty. We're still, you know, coming off this summer pattern to where the water gets to a certain degree point where they're like, okay, now like I have to eat something now. Like the water is getting colder, like to keep my metabolism going and to kind of talk, you know, what I was talking about earlier to keep me moving because they're not storing. They have to start eating. And so for me here, that's sub 55 degrees. Like when the water hits 55 and below is like when those fish really 60 and below, but like that 55 is kind of that magic number where these fish are like, okay, we're going to start like shoveling things into our mouths now. And same thing in the spring. I mean, you got to think about it. 55 and above is when they're like, okay, we're going to start shoveling everything into our mouth now, you know? And so I think that's kind of, I don't know, just to kind of get a grasp on fall, as a whole is is to think of it as hey this is a transitional time these fish are transitioning the world is transitioning i mean like everything is changing and you have to be willing to change with it you know what i mean so i'm gonna, I'm gonna be bringing out the uh the october box for monster bass because i haven't even i've opened it up took a peek in it but i hadn't had a chance to do anything so um we got the suspending jerk bait we got a underspin a buzz uh no uh chatterbait mm-hmm. and what was it the uh not a wacky rig uh, um ned rig no not the ned not the shot. one up the one up from that no no uh why can't i think of it shaky head shaky head shaky head shaky you. yeah so i mean that's i mean i'm gonna put each one of those on because that's that's pretty much covering everything i mean dude and that's it i mean like you gotta have them all right i mean like have something that looks like a little bit of everything you know what i mean and i think that's the best that is like my number one piece of fall advice is like you hear all these videos and they kind of get on my nerves it's like well the bait fish are making their transition to the backs of the pockets and all the bass are going <laughs> to the backs of the pockets it's like you know how many fish i've caught on main lake points in the fall it's like these fish are everywhere yeah you can like i caught one in the back of a pocket the other day I also caught one on a main lake bank. We also caught five throwing a bladed jig down a main lake bank. I mean, like these fish are everywhere. Now, see, it's, I think it's I think it's important to learn the rules and then break them. So you know, you learn where the bass are supposed to be. Yep. But they're still a wild animal, and there's still so many factors that you don't know is happening. Exactly. I mean, the majority of the time, the majority of the fish might be in those back pockets. But when you go that day, you know, you, you, so you got to learn the rules, go test it out. But then you need to know how to break them and go try something else. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, there, you know, there's merit to all that stuff that you read and that you listen to. It's just, I think, like you said, you need to break them. Like, you be can't get hung up on it. You cannot get hung up on it, especially this time of year, man. I mean, like, 
I was like the other day, I got five blowups on a frog in a mat. One of them was a good one. I went and fished four other mats and didn't get a bite. Right. You know, like it's like, dude, there's no pattern in them in the fall. Now there's a certain point at which you can start patterning them, right? Like when the water gets cool enough, but we're not at that point yet, especially not here. All of the South, the North, you know, the North's there, right? Because it's just different. Like dude, us guys in the South, we're not there yet. Like we've still got 70 and 80 degree days on the horizon. I mean, like it's part of living in the South. And so we have to just be a little bit more versatile in our approach and have a little bit of everything tied on and ready to go. I mean, you know, rule of thumb. Yes. Look for shad rule of thumb. Yes. Look for bluegill rule of thumb. If you find crawdads. Yes. I mean, you know, the other day did a little spotted bass catching cook. That was a fun video, by the way, they did taste phenomenal. Um, but did a little necropsy on them and those fish had log perch and crawdads in their stomachs. So you got to think about that. If you throw a spinnerbait all day, there may be a segment of those bass that you never even touch because they were more focused on crawdads and log perch, or you don't get any bites because all of those fish are focused like this on the bottom because that day, for some reason, they're just like, we're going to swim around and eat popcorn off the bottom all day long, you know, and that's heads facing down. Yeah. And that's the kind of, I mean, like, dude, that's, that's, I told my buddy, I was like, how many of those fish did we fish over because we weren't dragging something on the bottom? Like how many of them that I just get to react to the buzz bait that if I would have drugged something on the bottom, instead of getting six bites, I would have got 16 bites. You know, that's the, that's the kind of mindset. You just throw a little bit of everything. Cause it was a um, great example. Two, no, last year. Yeah. Last year, last week of October, it was 85 degrees here. Water temperature is 67, 68. Like, so, you know, we're going into November and the water temperatures are still almost in the 70s. Dude, I fished all day long. And this kind of goes into another tip about fall fishing that's going to break the first tip that I gave you. You know, it goes kind of, <laughs> this is breaking those rules. I fish all day long, doing everything you're supposed to do to catch them during the fall. Three o'clock rolls around, four o'clock rolls around. Sun's low in the sky. Shadows are really long. Throw a Cinco up on the bank. General. A June bug general. Berkeley general. Throw it up on the bank. Don't. Catch a 20-incher. Okay. Throw back in there. Don't. Catch another one. Proceed to sit there for about 15 minutes and catch a fish every single cast for 15 minutes. End up, I think my best five on the board for a kayak went like 89, almost 90 inches. Those fish, for some reason, I think it was the shadows, set there, set right off the break all day long, and then all of a sudden they just moved in there, and I found a pile of them, and I caught them. And so the second tip is, this time of year too, if you do get a bite in an area, make several more casts in there. Because normally if you find one, you're going to find six. Like it's just the way that those fish function. You know what I mean? Do they do that any other time of year or it tends to be just fall? Summer, you know, when they get on those schooling patterns, like offshore schooling patterns and stuff like that. You know, the shallow water bite, not so much. They won't school up. But fall for me is when I've seen that the most. Is like if you get one bite, make six or seven more casts back in there. Like, and you would think like, and what was funny about that that scenario is even after I caught those fish like that, I kept casting, kept casting, kept casting. And on like the 10th cast, after I the, caught the last one, donk, I caught another one. It's like they're sitting there and there's just something about the way their little brains function that all of a sudden they're like, 
oh, I'm going to eat it now. And they eat it. You know what I mean? It's like, I it's like Jerry, the stupid one's the only one left. You know, Jerry's like, hey, guys, a purple worm. And it's like, you know, I don't know what it is, but that's another tip for fall fishing is move a lot. But if you do get a bite, anchor down for a few minutes. Like give that area a good solid at least eight to nine cast because within those eight to nine casts, you could literally catch your limit twice. You know what I mean? But then you're going to, but then like the rest of the day, didn't get another bite, tried to run a pattern, tried to look for something, didn't get another bite. And I think right at the end of the day, I went to another area of the lake, threw a frog and I caught one. Like, it's just like, you would think, Hey, this is this, and this is what this is supposed to be, but you go run it. And it's literally like this picture you have in the background. It's hilarious. And this is literally kind of what it looked like. You had your main channel and then another channel flowing into it. And that river channel was flowing back and eddying and they were sitting in that eddy and that hmm. eddy didn't get covered with shade until about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And I think that shade line in correspondence with the eddy just pulled them right up there on the bank. They were sitting there eating shad. Cause every time I'd hook one shad it'd go. Poof. And so what happened there is you had bass coming, shad coming, the shad moved in there, the bass moved in there after the bait fish. And I just caught it right at the right second. You know what I mean? And that just shows that transitional movement. Those shad hadn't been there all day because I fished there in the morning. There were no shad. For some reason, those shad transitioned in there in the afternoon. It may have been the shade, whatever it was. And then the bass transitioned in with them and started eating. I'm trying to think. I can I can picture a spot that I'm probably going to try Thursday that, that has a canal running into another canal. And depending on how the tides fall, and there's a spot right across from that where the water will come drain from the marsh mm -hmm. and last time i went out i caught a, a decent sized bass right there so and that's been a good spot too um mostly well during the summer we've had where uh the shad will pile up in that intersection mm -hmm. and you can throw top water and just i mean fish after fish not quite like you're describing but uh so thursday the temperature is gonna be 82 degrees Whoa. all sun no clouds, yep. uh, non-mile-an-hour winds, and let's see. Yesterday was 78, today was 78, tomorrow is 79, and then Thursday is 82. So, so that's that's the weather condition. So what are you, uh, how screw, are you attacking that? Screw the weather. Okay. Look at the water. Look at the water. Water is everything, because that's another thing. You know, I told you a couple weeks ago it's 40 degrees here for a high. Me and my dad went fishing on that day. Water temperature was still 68. That cold snap did not affect that water temperature that much. You know what I mean? Like, it mm -hmm. wasn't enough. Like, we went out there and we're like, we're going to crank a crankbait. We're going to drag a jig, da 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 da. And then you get to the lake and you look at the water temperature and you're like, oh, hell, I'll eat a top water. Like, like, you know, you may be cold, but it doesn't mean the fish is cold. You right. know what I mean? You may be hot, but it doesn't mean the fish is hot. You know, like, we'll have these warm streaks. I know it's going to happen about Thanksgiving time. You know, we'll have you know, a week or two of really cold weather and then it'll jump up in the eighties and we'll go to the lake and we'll be out there wanting to flip a jig and the water's, you know, 52. And just because we're warm doesn't mean the fish are warm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So my, you know, my biggest dictation this time of year, because again, it's transitional. I don't look at the weather. I look at the water. I think too many people too get way too hung up on the weather itself this time of year the weather's changing. There's no consistency this time of year with weather. So we have to look at the water to help dictate what we're going to do. You know what I mean? 
Um, because if you look at the weather, dude, one day you're going to be flipping a jig. The next day you're going to be cranking a, you know, 10 XD. And the next day you're going to be <laughs> like throwing a net rig on eight pound tests. Like if you let the weather dictate it, you got to let your water dictate what you're doing. Yeah. That, that, that water temperature definitely transitions a lot slower unless, well, I mean, if you get a heavy rain, that'll, that'll drop it quick too sometimes. Yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, dude, that's another thing is the rain. I mean, like. I think that's one thing that people drastically overlook is the power of a cold rain. Like I've seen cold rain drop a like 15 degrees overnight. You know, mm-hmm. and, when, and when I say cold rain, I mean one of them rains that bring in a cold front that when you hit your right. skin, you're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's just so drawn up. You got to stick when your finger. It stings when it hits oh, you. Yeah, it's I mean, it sucks, you know, but like, you know, it's just, I think that's one thing within weather to watch out for. And I also think moon phase. Um, so I know people who won't fish after now this is inshore fishermen more than bass. I don't know, it might be bass fishermen too, but they won't go fish during a full moon because they think that the fish are eating all night, so they're not gonna eat the next day. I I one hundred percent agree with that. Okay. So it's a theory still. I've not proved it. And I did ask the biologist about it. So I had John the biologist back on my podcast. He's a TW. I've seen that. I need to listen to it. He's a phenomenal human being. Dude's smarter than I'll ever be. Knows more about fish and bass than you could ever imagine. And I proposed the question to him. And honestly, I think the question took him by surprise because I don't think he had ever considered the idea that fish may be becoming more nocturnal. And I think, and his response to my question was, is he said, well, bass are opportunistic and they're predators. So whatever scenario puts them at the best at their best ability to be able to kill something and eat it is what they're going to do to optimize their time and their efficiency. And so he said, if that means feeding at night, well, that may be feeding at night because you got to think if you got crawdads, I mean, you got a lot of crawdads. Oh yeah. Crawdads molt on a full moon. And so bass taking advantage of these soft body crawdads who are in a vulnerable state are going to swim around all night long on a full moon and eat the literal walking popcorn on the bottom. <laughs> I mean, yep. it's like it's like if you knew every full moon, you could yep. walk out in your yard and there would be chicken wings literally crawling around <laughs> your yard, and all you had to do is pick them <laughs> up and eat them. You would be out there gorging your face every, every time. And that is what a bass is doing. I mean, he is he is is being as opportunistic as he could possibly be. He can see well because there's a full moon. Again, a bass's eye functions different than ours does, but it can see well, it can hear well. Based on water clarity of where you live, what's going on, that bass does not know the difference between sunlight and moonlight. It just knows light. And so it's going to use that opportunity of a full moon on a good clear night to go and eat as much as it possibly can. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, when a full moon happens, that means the crabs are full. That's what the old folks say. The crabs are full of meat. There you go. I mean, and then you see, there's a perfect example of that's a time that us as humans go, this is this opportunity to go to get this thing that we like the most yeah, because it's thing. the best time to be there. And if and if all that we know about bass is true and the studies that they're doing are are true, that bass can smell the caloric intake of some pieces of bait, then you've got to think these dudes are just sitting around biting at the bit waiting for a full moon and then they're just like, Oh yeah, <laughs> the Wait, crabs are full. <laughs> you're gonna have to go back with that caloric thing. Okay. Explain that to me. So, 
long story short of it, another time I had the biologist on, unprovoked question. Um, for you guys that don't know, I work with Pure Fishing that owns Berkeley. So Berkeley, you know, they're big into the scent game, right? Like that's their selling point on their baits. Everything that we do, we put scent on it because scent is the king in Berkeley's eyes. And for years, I'll be totally honest, I was not bought into the idea that scent did anything at all. I didn't think a bass could smell what we think it can smell. Well, unprovoked, I asked the question to John the biologist. I said, what do you think the most important sense that a fish has is and he goes well from studies i've seen it's probably their scent he said bass are able to smell the caloric value are they're doing studies that show that bass can smell the caloric value of different types of bait and they will choose what to eat based off its smell artificial bait we're talking no real bait Real bait. Okay. Everything. Everything. So they can decide. So if there's a crawfish and a minnow and he likes minnows more than crawfish, he's going to leave the crawfish and grab the minnow. Yes. Yes. Instinctually, the drive to spend less calories consuming more calories is going to outweigh one or the other. And they're doing that based on smell. So olfactory system, visual with their eyes, visual system, and then their lateral line. So if those three things being something that is provided them with value in the past, you know, functionally, they're not, they're not processing it like we're processing. They're not having a logical thought about that, but instinctually, if it's been rewarded, then they are going to go after that thing more. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's why I think like when you look at Michigan smallmouth, for an example, these things are freaks of nature, right? I mean, you've seen some of the pictures that I've posted. These things, mm-hmm. 19 inches long, five and a half pounds, literally built like footballs. Like you think football smallmouth, these are those smallmouth. Those smallmouth primarily are goby and crawfish eaters. The reason for that is gobies and crawfish are full of everything that is good for a bass that makes them fat. And they're also really, really, really easy to kill. I mean, like, dude, there's some of these lakes up north that literally the bottom moves because of the crawdads. Jeez. Like, like it is no joke when I say this. Like, we pulled up to a boat ramp one time. I, look, I told Ben, I was like, hey, look at that crawdad. Hey, look, there's another crawdad. And then I kind of got to look, and I was like, dude, the entire bottom is moving. And, like, literally, it is hundreds of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of crawdads that are just crawling all over each other, and they're just crawling. And the bass, dude, I mean, all they got to do is swim around and just Sounds like I need to go up there and bring some crawfish nets. Well, dude, the problem is crawfish they're, called, bowl. they're called rusty crayfish and they're about that big. They're literally like the size of your thumb. Like their entire like claws, tail, and everything is about as big as your thumb. <laughs> it just means I need to catch more of them. That's right. right. <laughs> it's thousands of them. But I mean, but so like you you if you were to take that smallmouth, I mean, what's the thing that he is gonna want to eat the most? The easiest, most caloric, valuable thing. And that's going to be the crawdad. Now, can you get them to react to a jerk bait? Absolutely. That lake that I'm talking about, we throw jerk baits and they smash them. But I think that has a lot to do with an instinctual, instinctual thrashing out at something. You know, like you right. flash something shiny in front of their face, their body can't literally help but try to kill it. You know what I mean? But if you really want to get down to the bare bones of like, what do I need to throw to get these bass to eat? like with intention, like intentionally eat what I'm throwing and not just react to it, then it's going to be a crawdad. But then we get into the idea of like, if they're surrounded by real popcorn, throwing fake popcorn at them, it's really hard to get them to eat it. And that's when I think sometimes fall transition kind of talk here, 
is that's why these reactionary baits do so well is because sometimes in the fall, I think that there's so much for them to eat and that's still not hard to eat that you have to get them to thrash out in a reaction. You know, don't try to mimic what they're eating because if you try to mimic what they're eating, I think a lot of the times they're just going to ignore it because there's a thousand of the real thing in an area. Why the heck are they going to take any time to try to go hit this thing that isn't exactly what they've been eating before and getting, you know, rewarded with calories. You're going to have to get them to, you know, a jerk bait, a spinner bait, something that's flashing. It's got a lot of movement that's violent. That's going to like, it just hits, hits that instinct. It goes, I got to try to kill that. And they just try to grab it, you know? And that's why I think things like top waters, buzz baits, you know, plopping style baits, jerk baits, spinner baits, these more violent, you know, more aggressive styles of, you know, reactionary style baits work so well in the fall is because you're just getting a pure reaction out of the fish. You're not actually getting a fish that's wanting to actually consume what you're throwing. Like it's not looking at it and going, that's a bait fish. I want to put that in my mouth. It just flashes in front of that fish's face and it's like the instinct just gets, you know, lizard brain, little switch gets hit and it's just like, I got to kill it. You don't have time to think, just yes. done. Yeah, just kill it. I mean, because, like, that's another thing I think a lot of people don't realize is, like, there are studies that have been done, and I've seen videos of, you know, like, fish in tanks and stuff like that. Those fish literally, once that switch gets hit, they can't keep their body from tr- going and trying to kill that thing. Like, it is a total brain dead instinctual attack and yeah there's moments at which the brain kind of switches back on and like they'll stop or they won't eat something or there's that last minute kind of draw like you've, we've all seen fish do that mm-hmm. you know I mean? like they'll get blasting towards something and then like the last thing it's like their brain goes whoa, whoa, whoa that's not right but like most of the time when you have one like t-bone a jerk bait it is because it is purely out of just instinct to go kill so that's what's awesome about having that my pool pond down mm-hmm. downstairs. I got two bass in it, and it's been awesome watching it for you know as long as I've had it. And I have a bass in there. He's probably a solid pound, or mm-hmm. getting getting close to it. And then one that's maybe half that size, maybe a little bit less. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll go down to the little canal by me, and they got a ditch that the water flows in and out depending on the tide. Mm-hmm. And they get these little mullet, the little finger mullet in there. And I'll get those and I'll go feed it. And it's awesome watching it. But like you're talking about, I'll throw a mullet that's, I mean, that big in there. Mm-hmm. And that big one will grab it. And you got this much of his tail sticking out of his mouth until he can use his crushers to work it work yeah. it down. Yeah. When I drop that next one in there, if it swims next to him, he does a little charge at it, even though he's still got that, yeah. that fish hanging out of his mouth. Like, he's not going to eat it. You can't even open your mouth. Yeah. But he still has to do that little chase action. Yep. Yep. So, I mean that point I've, I've seen it in the pool pond yeah it's involuntary dude i mean like literally like it's it's i i like to imagine it as like a little switch and it's like there's a little dude in there and when something hits the water it just like the switch gets hit and it's like the little dude's trying to jump up and grab it to pull the switch back down but until he gets a hold of it that bass is on autopilot like he is in this <laughs> death mode you know what i mean and like they'll just smash something and it's it's crazy man Another thing I noticed too down there with the uh with them bass is since there's two of them, the competitive nature between mm-hmm. the two of them. Mm-hmm. So if you can find bass schooled up or even just two next to each other, because I've fed them um, every now and then. If I don't have time to go get the the mullet, I'll go get 
uh, night crawlers. Mm -hmm. I'll just get night crawlers. We got a gas station up front that has uh, a little refrigerator full of night crawlers you can get. Mm -hmm. And I'll keep those in my fridge. If I don't have time, I can just go down there and feed them. And I'll start feeding them. And like the little bass, he's he's a lot faster. So he'll just come snatch them out my hand while waiting for the big one. So he'll get full. And I'll put that worm in that water. And he'll try and hurry up and get it. He'll sit there and stare at it until the big one gets close. And he'll run up and grab it. Mm -hmm. And then he'll spit it out because he's full. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even have any more room. But he's got to get it before that other one gets it. Yep. 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 And dude, that's the thing about bass. I think a lot of people think bass school together for some sort of, I don't know, family structure, right? No, they're no, just, just together like because on the bait. Yep. They're following the bait. It's just, it's an instinctual, Hey, there's other things here. Like me, I'm going to get around these other things, but it's also an opportunity to eat because if there's more of them, then it's easier for them to corral and to eat. And so like, dude, Bass is kill or be killed. Eat or get eaten. You know what I mean? Like it is kind of like going to a buffet. You're not all them people in there. You're not eating together, but everybody's there because that food's at that buffet exactly. table. Exactly. <laughs> it is exactly right. You know what I mean? And the biggest, fattest, meanest one is gonna be the one that eats first. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's yeah, like, you don't go cut them in line. That's for no, sure. Because he's gonna freaking stab you in the neck with a fork. And I mean, those <laughs> those bass are the same exact way. They are they are like it is it is just a competitive nature like you that's why the other day great example catch one on a buzz bait there's literally one trying to beat the other one's brains in to get the buzz bait <laughs> out of its mouth and it's because it is eat or be eaten that thing has food in its mouth i am the switch has been hit and i'm in kill mode and i'm on autopilot and i mean dude i'm not i'm not joking you i'm reeling this bass in i mean dude this other one's just like hitting him like i can feel him thumping just He's like, and I'm fighting this fish, and it's every now and again it goes like that. And I mean, that's literally that bigger fish is trying to kill that right. other fish to get that out of its mouth. You know what I mean? And it, it's a competitive nature. And that, that's going back to that what I said earlier. You know, fall tip: if you catch one, throw back in there six or seven times because there may be six more that are all sitting there waiting to compete and have follow up baits. That's one thing that starts happening to me a lot this time of year is they'll there'll be four or five of them fall it right up to the boat. Have something ready that you can just drop over the side of the boat to just get in front of another fish's face, and then you've doubled up. You know what I mean? Alabama rig. This time of year, on the Alabama rig, you're going to start seeing a lot of doubles, triples, quadruples even. You know what I mean? Like I saw the other day um, Justin Hamner, buddy of mine, fishes the Elite Series. He caught five spotted bass on an Alabama rig. All five mm -hmm. hooks had a fish on it, and it's because he threw it up there. There's a school of spots sitting there, and they're just – I have never fished with an Alabama rig. Dude, it is wild. <laughs> it is. I'm going to have to go get me one. It's fun. It's the only bait I've ever doubled up on completely, like and got them in the boat. I've doubled up on crankbaits and topwaters, um, but never got them both in the boat. But an Alabama rig, I've doubled up on several times. Dude, I've done that with speckle trout. Um, we'd use a double rig. With, I, in the bass world, it's called a donkey rig, I believe. Yeah, donkey rig, yeah. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's basically same thing we use for speckle trout but we can either put it under a cork or drag it real slow across the bottom when it gets cold yeah and i've caught i mean i've caught tons of speckle trout doubled up like that because then it's like a school up yeah real yeah. thick and it's the same i mean bass same thing i think a speckle trout and a bass um i caught some speckle trout while i was in north carolina dude i mean they seem very similar like they're a schooling fish though well so is a bass though a bass is schooling fish they're considered schooling fish yeah, I mean, they school together. Yeah, I mean, you'll have 
10,000 schools of, you know, 10,000 school strong fish on Pickwick, Wheeler, these big TVA lakes. Really? Oh, yeah. Dude, summertime, when the summer rolls around, those bass get offshore. I mean, I've sat on a school of bass literally hundreds of yards long on Wheeler Lake before and caught them. See, I wonder if this just because the waters are so different or just I never noticed it. Because, I mean, we have, so we have what they call a lake, Lake Salvador. Yeah. Um, you know, you can get to the gulf from it. So it's not landlocked by any means and yep. it's brackish. It comes in and out. But essentially those lakes are flats. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not that deep. And mm-hmm. then there might be a couple little dips in it here and there, but I don't ever see anybody in the lake fishing, like in the middle of the lake. They they're oh, like the bank. against the shore yeah. or, you know, not far from it. Yeah. So I don't know what the difference is. I think I think, yeah, I think when you're talking about a lake like that, like like I was talking about earlier that I fished in Alabama south, you know, late winter kind of deal, mm-hmm. it was very onesies and twosies. And, like, you know, you'd find two, maybe three together in a spot, but you're not seeing these massive schools. And I think, you know, when you're talking about these massive schools, these lakes have to set up a certain way. You know, they have to have deep enough water. There has to be enough area for them all to set up in that way. Um, I think deeper south you get, you know, Florida – that kind of stuff, you know, down in your area, I think you get a lot of fish that a school, maybe six fish, five fish, four fish, where a school, you know, in Lake Michigan or a school on a TVA lake could be 150, 200, a thousand fish. You know what I mean? I think it's just a functional difference of how fish set up. Now, what I was talking about earlier with the general deal, you know, 15 fish and 15 casts, that was in two and a half foot of water. (laughs) But they were just stacked up in this area like it was an area it's about the size of the hood of my truck and you gotta imagine well it's not a very big area but if you're only talking about a bass that's this big and he's only that thick or that thick how many could you stack up all in that one little area you know what i mean and that was the deal is it was a a 15 fish school of bass there that all schooled together in that one area that were eating bait they were schooling and they were there together it's just the area was kind of condensed because they were all in that eddy so they're a schooling. I mean, dude, it's it like trout, it, trout and bass. I think are very, very similar just in the way they function, the way they eat. They eat a lot of the same things. You know, I mean, I was catching trout on a DOA uh, shrimp, mm-hmm. and we were sitting on this point, and it was the most natural thing that I did the entire time. I was saltwater fished because it was the thing that I knew the most. And like once I figured out what the bite felt like, because they do kind of bite a little bit weird. Once I figured out what the bite felt like, because I wanted to reel down and like jack their face, and my my buddy Joe was like, set the hook. As soon as you feel it, set the hook because they'll spit it out. Um, But it's like they were, dude, they were doing exactly what I thought bass would do. You had current coming from, you know, right to left, flowing over a sandbar. Sandbar had, oh, Lord of mercy. I'm now I'm messing stuff up. (laughs) My hand, I'm sorry. Sandbar had had deep water access over to our left. So we're sitting in the channel throwing up onto the sandbar exactly what those bass were doing that were eating that general i would throw that general up there it would float past them and the, they'd eat it same thing the trout were doing the same thing with that doa shrimp they were just sitting there head up towards the current waiting for something to float by their face in a school and bass will do the same exact thing and that's another fall tip and especially for you i think this is where fish and tva lakes may help me one day if i do do a lot more like tidal style fishing is as the water starts to drop, find the deep water access 
and fish the shallow water right next to the deep water access. Um, a couple years ago, I got on a really good square bill bite. They were dropping Lake Chickamauga, and I was running from bridge to bridge to bridge, fishing the bridge pylons and the riprap around the bridge because these bridges would open up into these massive creeks. And that bridge was the natural choke point for all those bass and bait fish and bluegill and crawdads to have to go to and go through to get out to the main lake to get to their winter spots. And so all I was doing is I was hitting them at their bus stop. You know what I mean? They're sitting there waiting on the bus, sitting there waiting on food. I'm just hitting them at their natural transitioning points instead of transitioning around the whole entire lake and having to go run 6,000 miles. I was literally just going to the spot where they have to come through in their transition. And I was sitting there. It's like hunting, you know, you don't, you can go and spot and stalk, right? But for the most right. part, you want to sit there and wait for the deer to walk through. Same functional thing, except for I was throwing a square bill and hooking three and a half pounders. I got to see what the tide's going to be uh, Thursday. That's something I don't check enough either is the, mm-hmm. my tides because, I mean, that tells me where the water's going to be flowing, when it's going to be flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just my fault because I know, I know that's what I need to do. I just don't do it. I just, <laughs> I and I, I think. Right. I think the thing is, too, because if, if I learn when the tides and where the tides, that might give me a better idea of where to fish. But what I don't get too hung up on is conditions. Yeah. Because yeah. I want to go fishing Thursday. Mm-hmm. If I sit there and be like, ah, well, this isn't right. I might not go, you know, I'm not going to go fishing or I'm not going to go out there with any sort of confidence. So I kind of, I, I would prefer to have as little information as possible, I think, at times. So I'll go out there and do it and then, yeah. you know, attack it instead of having it back in my mind. Well, I'm not going to catch any fish, but I'm going to go try anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I'm the same way. Like I just go fishing, right? Like there's days. I think the biggest thing with things like tide in your case or weather or current in my case, you know, where these TVA dams will like open up a gate on one of these dams and they'll create artificial current. I think it's not as much does this align with every perfect condition? It's what have I learned from these conditions in the past that I can now apply to go catch fish. I think that is the hardest thing for new anglers. I wish I could give you tips and tricks on how to get better at it, but the only tip and trick is just go fishing. Time on the water. Yeah. Time on the water, man. And I know that's cliche as it gets like everybody hates to hear that, but it's just like anything else in life. You want to get good at guitar, play your guitar. You want to, get good at picking up women go pick up a lot of women you know i mean but it's like it's like dude like it's just time on the water i mean there are situations now that before i would be frustrated not knowing how to catch a fish but because i grinded it out and i've seen that set of circumstances before now i don't get as frustrated anymore because i've got this catalog of ideas that i can go run six or seven things and hopefully one of them will work and if not there's another learning opportunity for me to go okay what did i do wrong what did i do right what can I do better and how can I catch more fish? Yep. Yeah, you can watch YouTube videos all day long, but mm-hmm. I mean it's if if I could become an expert of watching YouTube videos, I'd have two million subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, right. because yeah. I've watched tons of videos that say do the exact same thing. And as far as I can tell, I'm doing them. Well, guess what? I ain't at two million yet. Yeah. 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 I mean, dude, that's that's it right there. You know what I mean? That's it. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, it's just flying. I mean, you gotta, you gotta apply, you know, gotta do it. you just gotta do it. You gotta put it in the work. And that's, I don't know. I, th- I feel like we live in a time where people don't want to hear those words put in the work. No, nope, yeah, no, that's definitely it's instant gratification. Yeah. You got, yeah. You want no, to, it is fun. Quick, quick list. 
it is fun to every now and again go to a, a private lake in Texas and just straight swing on them. You know, I mean, that was fun that day. I do that have was, to say. That was. Dude, that, that was, was stupid. Awesome. See, and that's where I like going to Michigan. I like doing those things because that allows me to just, like, flex the muscle. That is, I think it's good sometimes to put yourself in a situation where you're just going to catch fish because my theory is you catch 104 pounders the next time you hook a four pounder, it's not going to be that big of a deal. You know what I mean? Like I've caught a lot. I, I say this with as much humility as possible, but it's just the truth. I've caught a lot of fish, like a lot of fish. And so now it isn't as big of a deal to me when I hook a big fish. I don't have that panic. You know what I mean? Like right. I still fish around people who have that panic and it's like, Oh, I got him get the net. And then, you know, they're freaking out and they're throwing around and I'm just like, chill out, just chill out. We'll freak out when he gets in the boat. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> freak out when he comes in the boat. And I think that comes not only as time on the water, you know what I mean? Um, but I also think that sometimes time on the water, if you're not catching fish and not flexing the muscle, that also doesn't help. Like you got to go try to catch some fish. And so if that means, Hey, listen, I'm going to go to my honey hole today i'm not going to try anything new i'm going to go try what works and i'm going to go swing on 10 or 15 of them then go do that sometimes because i think that's as good for you as oh, yeah. not catching them and trying to just spend time on the water and figuring out where they're at yeah just have fun sometimes you just gotta have fun yeah you have to dude have to yeah it can be frustrating you go out three or four times and not catch anything i don't know if that happens to experts like you anymore but oh dude i got skunked yesterday terrible caught one smallmouth and he was that big <laughs> yeah dude, it still happens to me all the time like all the time i think that's one thing youtube is kind of sucky about and i need to do a better job of sharing is the times that i don't catch anything i mean because really my fishing is like time it's kind of like baseball it's long periods of inactivity with short periods of madness yep. that is bass fishing in east tennessee like and, and my buddy cole got to see it the other day you know um, cole from cole and jay came out and fished with me First day, you know, we went to the river. We did well, caught quite a few fish, just good, you know, consistent day, caught several three-plus pounders. I mean, fun. Next day, slowed down a little bit, post-front, kind of sucky. I got six, seven bites. He got six, seven bites, but didn't put him in the boat. Third day, he got to experience a true blue East Tennessee grinder. <laughs> like, <laughs> so we went out there and, like, I caught two fish all day long, and he ended up catching five or six. But like, and then the next day I went out by myself, I didn't get a bite. Like, it's just, you know, but now it's starting to pick back up a little bit. You know, tomorrow it's going to, the weather's setting up right. The conditions are getting right again. Again, that fall transition is just happening. Fish are shutting off. They're turning on, depending on the weather, depending on water temperature, depending on moon phase, all those things. Da, 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 da. And, but yeah, fishing for me is like baseball. Prolonged periods of inactivity with madness. <laughs> Unless you get on a school, then. Yep. But I, I don't forgot what I was going to say. I had something in my mind and left just that quick. That's all right. I have that happen to me all the time too. That's my brain. Long periods of inactivity with <laughs> short moments of madness. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh well. Well, actually, we just hit an hour, so I guess it's uh time to wrap this thing up. Um, let everybody know. Where they can find you, man. Dude, Alex Redfishing on everything. Go check me out. 
I'm uh, on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. I got a podcast called Alex Redfishing Podcast. Um, any new platforms that will come up, it's going to be Alex Redfishing. I got the live stream back, so I started that back up again. Every Friday night, 9 o'clock, come join me. I do a live stream that I turn into a podcast, and so you guys can check that out. Um, been having some fun on Instagram lately. Been posting some uh, pretty funny little videos. I think everybody's I've seen them reels. Yeah, you've been yeah. Uh, yeah. getting it. Yeah, it's been fun. Those have been, uh, those bring me joy. So I'm going to keep doing those because here's the deal is like I made the first one because I liked it. I made the subsequent six because I like those as well. Right. Like when they make me laugh, I'm like, yeah, we're going to post this one. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's more fun if you enjoy it. And then if you, you know, you get the views on it, terrific. If not, well, you still got a good laugh out of That's it. That's right. That's right. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in the live. And if you're uh, catching this on the podcast form after thanks for tuning in thanks for listening and uh we'll see you next time bye 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 buddy bye